0: You are now listening to the Here for the Truth Podcast, hosted by Joel Raffiti and Eurosimos. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Here for the Truth Podcast. I'm Joel Raffiti, my co-host Eurosimos with me as always. We've just wrapped up a very deep, thought-provoking, intriguing, grounded conversation with the prominent author Jeff Brown. Um, you know, he's a household name in this space, in this community. His work on grounded spirituality and on, you know, debunking the new cage uh, spirituality has been, you know, super impactful for so many people. And I'm just honored to be able to have this platform and have these conversations, just really highlight, um, you know, these individuals and this information. Um, what can I say? All our episodes are at HereForTheTruth.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. If you get the chance, please rate and review uh, wherever you're listening. That would help us greatly. And no, without any further ado, much love. Here's Jeff. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Here For The Truth podcast. Such an honor to host the guest that we have with us today. We have Jeff Brown in the house. A former criminal lawyer and psychotherapist, Jeff Brown is the author of eight popular books, Soul Shaping, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, Love It Forward, An Uncommon Bond, Spiritual Graffiti, Grounded Spirituality, Articulations, and his latest work, Hue Manifestations. He's also the producer and central subject in the award-winning spiritual documentary, Carmageddon, which also features Ram Dass, Sean Korn, and Deva Pramal. Jeff has authored a series of inspirations for ABC's Good Morning America and has been featured on FoxNews.com and dozens of other radio shows. In 2010, he wrote a blog, Apologies to the Divine Feminine, from a warrior in transition, which quickly went viral and continues to be widely shared today. In a world saturated with spiritual teachers and self-help gurus, Jeff brings a refreshingly honest and human approach to what he calls grounded spirituality. He's a dictionary of new terms and short, impactful writings became a phenomenon some years ago and continue to be shared by seekers and growers worldwide. They've touched and benefited millions of souls. He's also the founder of Soul Shaping Institute and Enrealment Press, and his new podcast, The Enrealment Hour, can be found at all the usual places. He lives in Canada with his wife, poet, Susan Freibort. Jeff, welcome to Here for the Truth.
1: Great to be with you guys. You're a a great bio reader. Seriously. You (laughs) make a living just reading bios.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. If anyone listening yeah. wants to offer me another job, feel feel free to reach out.
1: Yeah, people fumble bios so often, so it's it's good to hear it read fluidly. Um, yeah. how, are you, how are you guys doing?
0: We're, yeah, we're doing great, man. Super, super, super grateful to have you here, and just excited for this conversation. You know that can unfold in any number of ways that we're about to get into one way we always like to kick these conversations off is like, we want to dive deep into kind of like your personal story, your major rites of passage, and I guess just the major catalyzing moments that kind of led you down this path.
1: Mm. Wow. Um, I, I would say that, you know, whatever led me here, some part of it had to do with glimpses of path and possibility in my teen years. Um, There was a a famous criminal lawyer in Canada that I used to see on TV named Eddie Greenspan, and I used to feel like, I'm going to work with that guy one day. just something about that guy. And I was a very practical guy, kid, edgy, warrior, feisty, in a survivalistic family, not sort of prone to sort of spiritual or divine imaginings. But I, I had some clarity around that and ultimately sort of saw myself doing law and then leaving law and then moving studying psychotherapy humanistic stuff and then writing um it just felt like that was encoded in me it was like like i had some i mean either i was delusional or i had some glimpses of possibility that actually lived inside of me um and as it turns out i probably was right james hillman called it the innate image so the idea that we all carry this sort of pathways of possibility what i call sacred purpose you can call it whatever you want and then i did end up going to law school, University of Toronto, and then articling with Eddie, the article in Canada for a year before you're called to the bar. Um, we did a very significant police murder trial, and I wrote cross exams, jury address. I basically directed the trial. Um, and then at the end of it, um, I just kept hearing this part of me saying that laws, you're finished with law. Um, it was sort of an odd time to be finished with law. i I become quite well-known in my little pocket with the cops. So I was well-positioned to become a prominent criminal trial lawyer very quickly. And and so I went to war with myself. So I guess this was this next rite of passage. Um, I mean, I always had this kind of like part of me that was witnessing me from around the age of 13. And I would be sitting in sort of an undergrad university and, and taking notes. And sometimes I would start writing in the sidebar, you are not who you appear to be. So it was like I had this like inherent awareness of the distinction between my and adaptations and disguises and then this thing that i call true path or sacred purpose over time and so that was my work my work was trying to align myself with this true path um, and the deep belief in it and so ultimately two parts of me went to war the part i called the warrior which was the archetype that was so familiar to my soul i believe and this other part that the warrior disparaged and called little missy inner daemon guiding angel some part of us that holds the truth of we are and somehow she won um and i stepped back from law at the moment when i was just about to sort of sign on the dotted line and get a practice going with some guys Um, and i just then explored the inner realms. something i was very as a driven pushy warrior-esque guy was very uncomfortable doing but i felt like i had to do that and spent a number of years just you know just getting by, but living in, in reality, um, internal reality and having experiences to explore who I was in relation to them. And, and I tried to write a few times, but it was, it wasn't the right time. One of my lines in soul shaping is if you step on the right path at the wrong time, you've stepped on the wrong path. So I'd stepped on the wrong path. Um, and I ended up doing a graduate degree in humanistic psychology at Saybrook at a distance, um, cause that was the second thing on my list. And then I went to Harbin Hot Springs in like, I don't know, two, just before nine eleven and had this, or the California, had this really powerful release experience for a number of weeks. Um, and when I came home, I was ready to write. I guess I'd suffered enough, or learned enough, or lived enough, or was audacious enough to think I had something to offer. I don't know, but... And then I started writing then and I, I pretty much haven't stopped since. Yeah, so there's a lot of markers and moments and... But I think the thread that runs through it is that I sort of, for whatever reason, had the audacity to believe that there was something called true path, and that, and that I developed terminology around. You know, like truth aches was a term that I developed when I was had indicators that I was off path. Yeah. Various, well, we all have, I think, all kinds of different ways. Um, and then I saw what the difference was when I was on path. A little voice inside went quiet. It's like I was where I was supposed to be and for the most part over the last 20 years i haven't really heard from little messy because i think i'm probably doing what i'm supposed to be doing
2: love it i love it man. i love the hero's journey for each person and i know joel and i it's just what we highlight on we love talking about it um you know spirituality is a word that is thrown around like everywhere in in all different manners and you know you have a book called grounded spirituality maybe that's a good starting point in terms of just just defining what that means and just your view of spirituality in general yeah um so
1: it came became clear to me i became sort of a student i was a psychotherapy guy at the beginning and then i became more interested in this thing called spirituality and you know i was accessing through somatic psych therapies a unity consciousness field so if that was what they were talking about, I was like, well, just go clear your emotional debris and get in your body and you'll be here. I mean, like, what are you even talking about? Why are you sitting in a stillness in a meditation cave or something in order to get here? Um, just cry or rage or you scream, rage against the machine, move that stuff out of you and you'll get space inside and you'll feel like you're present. Presence is a whole being experience. So you know, I started to explore that question. And, and I think on the simplest level, it's interesting, nobody really asks, when people say I'm a spiritual person, people we sort of assume, oh, you, you know, there's one of these various forms that could come in. You could be, you know, a very disciplined, meditative, you know, or meditation warrior. You could be love, have crystals around your bed or whatever it means to people. And I was like, let's just ask the question, what does spirituality mean? Because for me, spirituality, it seemed to me, meant reality so that the most if you could quantify it for the moment, the most spiritual person was the one who was holding the greatest number of threads of reality. And most of what I was seeing were, you know, say meditation experts or something or new cage, what I eventually called the new cage practitioners who had sort of perfected certain threads of consciousness and omitted everything else. and In fact, called everything else your story or an illusion or the matrix or, but yet it was all real and real in our bodies and real in our bodies and, so for me, spirituality is reality. So that which we've been calling spirituality for the most part for centuries to me is exactly the opposite of spirituality. It's dissociated. It's, it's enlightenment. You know, it's like self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment. That's how I characterize it. You know, I would watch Tole. I would listen to Tole and I would sort of fall asleep and he'd be talking about awakening. And I just kept falling asleep. And I thought, this is not awakening. This is a sleepening. There's something wrong here. You know, and he tells this whole story at the beginning of his book called The Power of Now, which I call the Power of Self Avoidance. Where you know he talks about how he was sort of suicidal, and then all of a sudden something happened one night, and he woke up, and he was a you know an enlightened person. And most therapists call that dissociation, um, but in the so-called spiritual world, we call that awakening. Um, and when I made my film Karma again, I would ask all these Neem Karoli Baba people that called him the Neem team, you know, all these men in particular, I'd say, I don't get it. Bhagavan says he's light. But he's got some uh, let's say some ethical issues um and they would all say the same thing like oh like i was asking a stupid question enlightenment comes to who it comes to doesn't matter what work you do on yourself doesn't matter if you clean up other parts it's irrelevant and i was thinking well all these guys have terrible ethics and you know acting out with women all over the place and and they can call themselves enlightened because normally spirituality, the way we've understood it, splits off this thing called sacredness from humanness. So anything to do with your humanness, your ego, your feelings, your story, your personal identifications are subspiritual. And for me, it became clear that it's all spiritual. Presence is a whole being experience or it's nothing at all. And grounded spirituality for me emanated from the feet up, from my my capacity to connect with Mother Earth and connect with all other realities and at least do my best to do that. And And when I was able to do that, I felt like I was really here. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't able to do that, I felt like I wasn't. And Yet that was the thing they kept calling spirituality. So it just started to feel like, I call it just patriarchal spirituality. It just felt like a con to me. Like just like a big fat hustle that's been going on forever and ever with clothes and outfits and bells tingling and all kinds of silly, nonsensical, hierarchical things that are presented as something that they're not. Um, Because I I think it's obvious based on what we're seeing on our planet. And what we've done to our planet, that if we were so spiritual and we were so here, we would have noticed the damage that we were doing and would have stopped it. So I think the work now is to become truly spiritual, which means to be here for everything.
0: Yeah. Tole tole is an interesting one. Um, It seems like the power of now and like a new worth, they're kind of just like built into the path. You know, like everyone is kind of going to read that at some point along this journey. It seems, Um, you know, I read that book in 2015, and for me, it was like, culminate into a major shift of consciousness. Like I was living in bliss for a period of time. Everything felt amazing, like emptying the dishwasher, like taking the rubbish out, etc, etc, etc. So I can see how people can like be drawn to feel like, oh, you know, that's just like a different feeling. Because I think what happens is, you know, they just detach from the persona for a period of time. And just because there's something different there, because they've, you know, detached from the story for a period, they believe that they're in some kind of enlightened state because something feels yeah. different
1: yeah it's called relief it's called relief that's right that's right but it's relief
0: and for me in my own experience like you can't live in that place because four or five years later from trying to stay in that place or stay connected to that experience you know i mean i think i cast a bigger shadow for myself in that five year period than i did in 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 my entire existence previously and i found myself so kind of detached from reality that i had to kind of do the work to actually figure out how to be a competent human being living right and I think there's a pitfall here that comes up when it comes to extreme forms of mindfulness. Like mindfulness is not the place to live. You know, yet somehow we think that is what it means to be spiritual. So I'm just wondering if you can touch on the pitfalls of mindfulness. Well, there's just there's so many, I mean, you know, um, for
1: passion, for passion, by passana. I mean <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it really intentionality is everything. So of course, if you're, If what you understand to be reality is sort of a habitual, sort of neurotic, overplugged in, taking the matrix thing so seriously, that's all you know, when you're given a pathway of relief, uh, of, uh, of stepping back, detachment as a tool, it's not a life, but detachment to begin with can be very beautiful and compelling and give you perspective and be useful and expansive, even the spiritual bypass, which is mostly probably what that is, can be incredibly helpful. I mean, we want to have presence as a whole big experience, which means we can access reality in all kinds of different ways, including Eckhart's way. But when you start living there, you know, and you start engaging in the, call the Advaita movement, I call the Avoida movement, and, you know, pseudo-non-duality, I mean, what's non-dual, what's unified about a consciousness that omits everything uncomfortable from the unified equation? Ego's gone, identifications are gone, feelings are gone, body's gone, story is gone, all you are is a little dissociated head tripper who finally has found relief and has convinced yourself on an ironically egoic level, despite the fact that you've bashed the ego, that in fact you've entered into a realized state. And then you enter the world and you realize you're a complete fucking mess like everybody else. Um, even worse probably because you've now spent five years not doing any work on yourself. So I think it's just important to say that, you know, Leaning in the direction, I understand why Oprah liked tolle's book, The Power of Now. Mm. I understand why people like the New Earth, the book I call the New Mars, because it's not an Earth that I want to live on. Because it it served a a purpose for a period of time, but once you start depersonalizing, you've got a real problem, and that's really what that is. Um, and it's it's for me, it's obvious from his energy that energetically he's not here for everything. He's he's got he what he's done. He's he's found a very you know even claiming his name is Eckhart his name is Ulrich so according according to I think his wiki and I think according to him he had a moment when he sort of saw her dream where he saw Meister Eckhart having a pile of his published books and then he got this idea he was going to be a published author which is sort of an egoic vision and then he changed his name to Eckhart so the, the whole you know for a man who talks about formlessness over form form mattered enough for him to do the name change um So if you start looking closely at all of them and all of it, you realize that they're confusing sometimes useful self-avoidance with something called enlightenment. If I can just read a bit from Andrew Harvey's Forward from Grounded. um, It it does the stages because I think, let me read it. It'll it'll contextualize it. Um, So Andrew says the ancient alchemical path has three stages. First, profound experience of transcendence that reveals divine identity. Okay? Profound experience of transcendence that reveals divine identity. This makes obvious the truth of what's written in the Upanishads. You are that. So we're all of that. We're like, you know, I just I am the tree, the tree is me. All, that whole feeling. You know, the fire hydrant is God, I am the fire hydrant. You know, that's, that's a consciousness and there's a feeling around it. The patriarchal traditions have mistakenly taken this stage for enlightenment. But the al- alchemists knew that this was only the first stage. The second stage is the stage that Jeff is a master of. That's Andrew's just being nice to me, but this is where the deep knowledge of the transcendent and the forces aroused by that knowledge are consciously integrated step-by-step with mind, heart, soul, and crucially, and more importantly, the depths of the body. As this second stage progresses, the third stage, which is called the simple thing, starts to emerge. And for this third stage, there are very few descriptions because very few people have truly matured in the mystery of profound, profound union with all that this stage brings. Um, so the idea is that you understand the significance of the first stage. You need the first stage. You you, you got to pull out of this localized, habitual, narrow lensed consciousness and explore another, various, more expansive perspectives. And then it's like, then what? <laughs> now you're bifurcated. You're like a bird without feet. You're a bird with one wing. You're gonna come crashing down to earth if you interface with reality and in the relational field, which is where the most of the triggers for all of us, we know, arrive. Um, And then the question is, and the challenge is, how do we integrate that experience, the experience you had with living in your body in this world and taking seriously that you're living in your body? You know, not, you can tell that they're dissociated rather than just introducing you to another lens when they bash everything human. That's a sign that they're trying to get away from their own unresolved humanness. So they'll say your story isn't real. Well, that's stupid. How can your story not be real? It's in your tissues. It's There's trauma tunnels in your body. It's dug into you. Your triggers are coming from your story, your individual story, your generational lineage, your historical lineage, your ancestry, all of those things. It's all real. And that's the thing that's missing. They're trying to present the thing that feels comfortable is real and everything else is unreal. It doesn't work. It's not true. And if we go there, we're never going to evolve as a species because we're never going to work on ourselves. Um, so I think that grounded spirituality is, is my attempt. And in the in the book, I spend many chapters interacting with an ungrounded seeker, realizing it's just not working anymore. You know, he's in a relationship. She wants a baby. He's like, I don't want a baby because they're going to pull me into my feelings. He doesn't want to go near his feelings you know, meditating six or eight hours a day in order to stay away from his feelings and to stay in that lovely pseudo bliss. It's not really bliss because the body is filled with all kinds of toxicity and shadow that's unresolved. But, you know, if you do it for a long enough period of time, you can convince yourself and the village that comes to bring you the milk in the cave can convince themselves that you are the one that's bringing the higher vibration and all this higher vibration nonsense and the rest of it. And as we're seeing now, none of this changes anything. Because the only way we're going to get anywhere is if we actually realize that everything is real, and then we can find preferred paths. But we've got to start from recognizing that everything is real.
2: Yeah, do you think it's concerning when people uh, explore spirituality with no foundation of understanding of the human psyche and psychology?
1: Yeah, I think that's the whole. Well, that was that's the whole game. Like Ram Dass and I hung out. You know, he was in Carmageddon, and I I went there a few times. One time over parts of two days. We had an amazing dialogue that I wish i had filmed, where I was calling him a spiritual bypasser. I said, "Your name is Richard Albert. Your name is Obama. so let's start there," and so that we engaged back and forth. Um, and and he, you know, he he's a very noble dude, but he, you know, he hung out with Tim Leary. He was used to debate, and he was able to handle it. And but it wasn't comfortable. Um, and we went back and forth, and that was really his point: you're, you're so psychological. And I said, why are you so uncomfortable about that? Were you just too fucked up? You had to get rid of the psychological? I mean, this was, you know, what happened? Um, and we went back and forth like that. And and the whole game was that the psychotherapeutic piece was trying to take you into your story, to your pain, into all these negativities. And he he didn't, he wanted to be not Richard Albert. Being Richard Albert wasn't comfortable for him. Mm-hmm. He preferred to be elevated as the man, as the guru, as the Ram Dassian. But yet... He had this brilliant mind that, when you engaged him in debate, was able to go there. And at the end of the two days, acutely and uncomfortably, he said, oh, "You're right, Jeff. I'm a spiritual bypasser. Get out of my house." Um, and you know, and I, I lovingly got out of his house. And um, and then you know, I thought, oh well, that's cool. So maybe now, when you have your big Sunday song go, when they come to the house in Maui, you're going to you know acknowledge what you acknowledge to me, you know. Uh, but of course, he just went back to being Rumpus. And, you know, that was the, that was his, his that was his shtick. Um, yeah. And it helped a lot of people to project and objectify onto him all kinds of things that they needed to feel like there was this loving, realized big daddy because they never didn't have one and God is unseen. And so he became this projected figure, even if below that, it, it was, it was all mixed up. It was all mixed up. And I, and I love the guy. He helped me, but you know, and I helped him. I mean, after the filming, he cried because he, he'd done some healing in the heart of these various interactions with Ruchu and But, you know, he was a good example for me because I had the most positive transference onto him out of all of them. And yet, you know, once you got down to it, it was, it was uh, avoidance. And, and his, his fleeing the psychological um, was a huge part of whatever his problem was in his life because there was a lot of unattended to material um, that demanded recognition and demanded some form of resolution.
0: So do you think there's like any value to be extracted from, for example, Ramdass's teachings? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that,
1: I think if you go in thinking that he's got it all figured out, don't go there. Yeah. But if you go there because you want to engage in various practices that allow you to access certain ways of being, or simply to be in the presence of someone you have good transference onto so you can explore who you are. Safe container, which is some, often what happens, because there was a safety about him that didn't exist for a lot of them. You know, we see what's happening in Canada with John DeRuiter and the criminal charges and all the rest of that. There's, you know, This has be going on forever. So Ram Dass had a way of, had a kind of a maturity about the way he held things. So I think that helped a lot of people. But I don't think it's good if you go there and you, Hold on to the belief that this is a perfected being. I think you're holding yourself back from your own development.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you you give that much power away to a single individual, like there's something that you're you're missing in yourself. You know, you're yeah. not you're not yeah. grounded. you're absolving yourself of self-responsibility. Um, and I think with the the whole new cage movement, and um, which is something that is important to notice is that. They focus on this goal of this like perfection, like this is the perfected state, as opposed to, I I contain multitudes. You know, it's like the great Walt Whitman quote: "I contain multitudes." And like, great. We're so diverse as human beings, there's all these different parts to us. And my foundational work in my 20s was, I mean, I guess people would call it parts work now, but I, I worked with uh, a couple of psychologists called Doctors Hal and Sidra Stone and their work, voice dialogue, and the selves. And that to me was so liberating because there was just like, wow, there's these different parts to me. How can I build a relationship with each of them? They all have something to tell me. There's a different gift. And if I just push them down into my unconscious, like what damage can that cause? And this is where projection comes into play. This is where we get into relationship, relational dynamics that don't ultimately serve us. So, uh, I mean, I heard you were you even before when you were talking, you, the way you use language, which I appreciate you say, a part of me, a part of me, because most people will, will just go, I, 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 not right. realizing right. that there's depth and nuance to them.
1: Yeah, when you get into the survivalistic world, as opposed to the more authentic seeking world, when you talk about parts, they think you're crazy, you know, because they they don't recognize they have parts. But, but we do. I mean, until they all integrate. And even then, there's still some identifiable parts or aspects of the human experience. And I think for whatever reason, and I don't know where this came from, in my teen years, I started to name my parts. And I, it's because I understood there was a distinction between I believe there was a distinction between who I really was, and again, these sort of adaptations, disguises, defenses that got me through life. And I think that's a very important initial question. Who, when you ask the question "Who am I," ask yourself which parts of you, which you have to probably it's helpful to name them or to identify them, are are survival strategies or coping strategies, and which ones really feel like fundamental you. Because um, some parts do fall away when they become not needed anymore. And others stick around and reveal themselves to be fundamental to who you are. So that's why Dick Schwartz's work, I mean, you know, people have been doing parts work. I was doing parts work in my teen years. People have been doing this work forever. Virginia here did this work. I mean, so many people that you did this work with the Stones. And, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to approach it. And, but I think it's a really important question. You ask the question, who am I and why am I here? Let each part of you tell you what they think. And then ask the question, which part of you is adapted and which part of you is authentic?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like in this framework, is there like an authentic self? Like, is there a true self? Right. So so
1: this is my bias. My bias is based on my lived experience that we come in with a, a pathway to sort of our unique individuation, the idiosyncratic self. So... And for me, sacred purpose, the things I'm here to do, things I'm here to embody, the archetypes I'm here to shed and walk my way into are fundamental to my particular journey. That's why nobody can tell anybody what your journey is, because it's, it's so personal and it's so unique. And I think it is uh, remarkably individuated and authentic. And then there is also, without overstating it, you know, you know, I don't have any problem with us focusing on this sort of, we're all part of the self-feel the, you know, I called it western consciousness in my first book, Soul Shaping, the the blend of the sort of quest for individuation that's fundamental and the healthy self-concept fundamental to the West and the and the quest for essence, let's say, and unity consciousness fundamental to the east, which I believe in the east was probably a necessary dissociation focus to get through all those difficult environments. Um, but they both have value. Um, so I think but I think we need to spend a lot more time working on the individuated self and the honoring of sacred purpose and the magnificence that lives within us, and then start asking how that interfaces with the unified field instead of jumping quickly to the unified field and bypassing the fundamental questions of who are you and why you're here. Who you are, Joel, and why you're here isn't just to be part of the absolute self field. I mean, that there's, there, there's a very unique individuated guy sitting here Um and... Who is he and why is he here? And it's I believe that's held, that information is held within our body. I don't believe it's the obsession with the mind, which is fundamental to patriarchal spiritual structures, is part of the avoidance game. The monkey mind is usually just a reflection of the monkey heart. It's not yet resolved. So if you clear the emotional debris, move the stuff through the body, rage, cry, whatever it is you need to do, the mind calms down. So they're they're fucking around in the mind witnessing the mind, watching the parts of the mind, spending hours inside of the mind, and then they go back into the world, nothing's changed because they haven't gone dropped down into where the material's really held. Not just the trauma material, but I believe the information as to who we are and why we're here is really primarily held within the body itself. So we have to clear enough degree to get access to it, and we have to do enough work in the psychological realms, ironically, in order to strengthen ourselves enough to be able to handle the real spirituality of living reality in all respects. I think that it's all intertwined. Yeah, they just have kind of it
2: backwards. They're just doing it backwards. Yeah. Yeah, man. You hit the nail on the head there. Like my foundation was more like psychological, cerebral, and and a little spiritual. And then when I moved to LA uh, about over 10 years ago, and I had a mentor of mine who was like an ex-Navy SEAL trained in Chinese medicine, Like, and I went deep into the body, it was... It was like a game-changing experience, you know, to, you know, you mentioned issues in the tissues, like getting that pain out of the body, experiencing a level of emotional release uh, and presence that I never experienced before. That was like, I almost called that like Jedi training. Like that felt like Jedi right. Or Like yeah. when I went out to the world, how I took an information via my senses was completely different. Everything changed for me from that experience of coming back down, getting more grounded and feeling. Healing the pain that existed inside me. It's
1: real. You know, I mean, we all know what happens when we don't feel it. That that's a horror show. Um, you know, but you know, I said in soul shaping, repressed emotions are unactualized spiritual lessons because I I believe that, you know, it was about clearing debris so I feel more at peace in my own body and have more space inside to clarify my path and direction. If you're all bunked up, it's hard to see who you are, and why you're here. But there was also this feeling that I had things to learn. And, the, and and that expanded my capacity, you know. For me, emotional and spiritual maturation are synonymous. So it's all the same. So that work that you did is the work that allows you to be more present for this conversation, for example, which is an important, thematically very important conversation for people to engage in. And if you hadn't done that work, you may have be finding ways to dissociate from this kind of conversation. So. You know, I don't see how it's possible to go deeper into reality as spirituality and spirituality as reality without attending to and acknowledging what you're holding and doing your best to clear the debris and to learn the lessons. If there are lessons, there aren't always lessons. Sometimes it's just a horrible thing that needs to be cleared. But if there are lessons, then learn the lessons so that you can transform into somebody who can handle more of reality going forward.
0: Yeah. Um... <clears throat> In in your book, you mentioned you spent a bit of time with Alexander Lowen, which I think is incredible. He's yeah. one of the masters in this whole body psychotherapy field, and, and only one degree separation from Wilhelm Reich, which is you know. Um, yeah, Wilhelm Reich was his therapist. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if can you talk a little bit about that experience, and also like in your own journey, like what are the ways into the body? Like, does one have to experience excruciating pain by having someone stomp on stomp on them, or go through <laughs> intense breath work, whatever it might be? to get mm. there and to do this work? Like what are the other avenues?
1: Mm. So Lohan, Um I did some session work with Lowen. He was my therapist for a period of time. Um, I would usually take a train down to Connecticut to his little house. And I'd walk in this house in the middle of a little house in the middle of a horse farm in sort of fancy New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, and then this dog would come in and I would hear some big wild birds. I mean, he was all about the animal body. And then this man would come in uh, seemingly human, but more like a wild Mustang with these bright eyes and bushy tail and energy coming off him and a sharp, sharp Judaic lawyer mind. Like he just had a sharp. Um, and he'd bring me into this little dank little room that had a breathing stool to go over and a thing to lie on to hit and kick a tantrum because he tantrum 300 times every morning, even in his nineties. Um, and he would talk to me. So he'd sit me down in a chair that had never been cleaned. And he'd sit down in a chair that had never been cleaned. And we it was it was sort of dusty like, like the psyche, you know. And I thought, this feels really fucking right. And I'm sitting with Loen, you know? And I would engage him. Like I was really, you know, and he knew that he needed about 15 minutes of me talk from my mind to feel safe enough to get to the next stage. And then he was very good. He would say, He go, Are you ready now? And I knew what it meant. It meant you're ready to get out of your head now that you're here and get undressed and let's get to work. Um and this guy worked. This was not a. This was old style work. You know. I mean, he he grounded you. He put you over the stool. He said, "Cry, boy, cry." And You could barely breathe because you were living without realizing it with was such a constructed chest, a constricted uh, chest. And he said, "Just stimulate, cry, cry, stimulate, cry. Just cry. It'll, it'll, come. It'll come." And you, and he, he was not afraid of anything. Um, occasionally, he would go and answer the phone while I was trying to cry stool. He'd the phone, Moishi, I got to go, I got a boy, he's on the stool, I'll call you back. Um, and only with Lowen because I had such good transference onto Jewish grandpa uh, with him, because of my Jewish grandpa, did, did I find it cute rather than like ridiculously annoying that he was answering the phone while I was trying to cry. Um, and, you know, at the, and, and the stuff would open and all of a sudden I'd feel nauseous and I would remember things that in my habitual consciousness I wasn't remembering. So that's how you you do the body stuff deeply. You realize, man, I'm a phony. We're all a phony. We're so phony because look what I'm carrying, you know. And of course, you have to, you have to get through life. i beating myself up for it. But And then he'd get me kicking and um, tantruming and moving things on the dank old, dusty, dirty old bed that he'd never cleaned. And, um, and so by the end of the hour, I would – so before I would go into – this is how I knew it was effective. Before I would go into the house, I sort of saw the house. I saw the horse farm. I saw the horses. Everything was sort of separate, you know. Um, and then by the end of the session, I would go outside and feel like everything was unified. So I was getting to the thing they were calling that spiritual state, but I got there through raging, crying, tantruming, nausea, um, and all the rest of that. And that was my first experience of spirituality. So when I said to and I think in our last session, I said, so what are they talking about, Al, with This spirituality stuff? And he went, oh like it was stupid because you get I paraphrase, you get in your body, you ground yourself, you clear your debris, then you become present for everything, that's spirituality that's spirited, you're spirited, that's what we're talking about, you're here for everything, you're alive to everything and I was like yeah, that, that just seems simple but not so simple because it depends how much stuff you're holding and if you're egoically strong enough to handle the material and and your circumstances and if you can go spend time with Lohan in your life and all those things and the whole world should have been in Al's office but they weren't, you know, and so I think those techniques—bioenergetics, which is a, a pretty strong grounding, energizing, expressive, self-possession discharge model—is incredibly brilliantly right, but not right for everybody. Some people are way too traumatized, way too—they're ill-prepared and should not go anywhere near that kind of stuff, or Stan Groff's holotropic breathwork, which can be incredibly, transformatively cathartic, but also devastatingly destructive for the wrong person. Because if they're already egoically fragmented, these things can really uh, fragment you. And in that case, something like Peter Levine's somatic experiencing work or um, even David Bercelli's TRE to an extent, um, which I quite like, is, is more helpful. Some people need to go slowly, subtly, titrating, reconnecting, learning how to regulate differently. I was a discharger. I had a lot of physical. Just coursing through me. Mean, I just needed to move the energy, and and then I calmed down. Um, and so that's why I loved it so much. But it's not for everybody. And when I I do session work with people, when I refer people out, I usually refer them to one of two people, one in each area, because I can't really tell from my interaction with them. Um, I may know that they're holding anger, but that doesn't mean bio is right for them at that time. You have to be ready for bio. If I if I had tried bio in my early twenties, it would have been a total shit show. By the time I was in my late 30s, um, it was a good fit. Um, so that's an important consideration. You know the, the, you know now I think I could handle both, and now I can handle SE a lot better. SE I found just too subtle and slow, and I've done some SE stuff in the last few years, and I and I liked it. Um, but in my heart, I just I just love picking up a baseball bat and smashing a foam cube. I just feel great
2: afterwards. Dude, first of all, I I just love this whole like thing that. Because as you were talking about and immediately I wanted to ask you, I was like, hey, do you think it's right for everyone? As we've gotten more information and knowledge about the intricacies of the nervous system, some people are just, you know, too dysregulated. And my wife and I, we went through um, Peter Levine's somatic experiencing training. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit more like you. I like the subtle work, but like I'm more just like, let me raid, break some shit. But at the same time, some people they, they just can't they can't handle that level of release work, even the breath work. And I think it can cause more harm. So totally on the same page, man. And I love that you yeah. made that.
1: Well, it's re I mean, and re-traumatization matters. Like some people grew up in a very volatile, violent home. So even if they're releasing and it feels good to release their holdings, it brings them too close to that material. I mean, without overstating it or, or imagining myself sort of an intuitive master or something. I can sense in you an intactness. I'm sure you've worked for this. It makes sense to me that you could handle the fragmenting nature of the bio process because um, you feel pretty solidly intact to me. Uh, you're my, your my wife may disagree, but um, and, and, but and I think that's part of it. I mean, it's, it, it, of course, there's no easy formula for this. I mean, it's. Um, I remember when I did some holotropic breathwork with the great Stan Groff, I mean, I went. I, you know, I went to these masters for a reason, and. And I was deciding if they were really masters. I was always sort of cynical. you know. Uh, but Lowen was who he said he was. People had issues with him, and he had issues with bio. and I felt it became too administrative, and it lost the feeling of the body. And I understood what he meant about that whole egoic community or parts of it. Uh, and Stan Groth was a Czechoslovakian psychiatrist, if you're familiar with him. But the guy is just absolutely solid as a fucking rock. And he love the study of these experiences of consciousness for the body um but i know that when i went to do that with him because i didn't have such good transference onto him like i have Bowen, i didn't feel safe at first i could feel myself pushing back pushing away not getting close to it and then i talked to him and then the second time through i was able to go to this extraordinary place of release and um you got to be ready and it, it just it, and you you know, and it also just may never be your particular pathway to hold us an integration. It's totally, totally fine.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. I I, I totally hear where you're coming from there. Uh, And I think like, I don't know for me, because I had um, the parts work through the stones work as a foundational understanding that when I did this more intense work, that like I had a way to just understand it or frame it within myself. Of course, having the capacity within your nervous system to be able to like weep and heave for 30 minutes and allow that place, allow that to just be, as opposed to like another part coming in and being like, Oh, we can't do this. Oh my God. Why am I crying? Why is this happening? Uh, You know? And so, uh, yeah, I think there needs to be some foundational level of safety within a person where they feel safe to be able to even come to, to go to these more expressive and spurred states. Yeah.
1: You have to be sort of intact enough to be torn apart or something but i would also say so much of it has to do with musculature i mean this is a body-centered psych so if you're so armored in your body so you may you may have some kind of emotional preparedness but if your body is so armored that you can't even begin to open the places if it just feels too rigid and that feels just too uncomfortable um that's a problem. You need to do enough opening work to be able to access the material a open further. Um, and, you know, I had done enough yogic work that I think there was just enough. It wasn't a lot of openness. I was just tight as a drum. But there was a way in which I had some experience with opening things and um, and some experience with accessing the things that were in there, even through yogic experience. I mean, I, I didn't do yoga the way yoga. If you look at the roots of yoga, is a, is a spirit was a spiritual bypass path. It was, you know, it was about perfecting the toxic body beast and getting as perfected as far away from the <laughs> fucked up feelings as possible. But I would do yoga just like I would do kirtan. But the, my goal was always to get. I call it barking dog yoga grounded spirituality. To use yoga as an excavation or release practice to allow material to come up. So when I'd go home and on the street, all this material was ready to move and. You know, I think if you've done some of that preparation work, you can handle bioenergetics a lot better. And if you haven't and you're tight as a drum, then you've got, you've got, to, you've got to stay away from it or you've got to go in really soft and really slow and subtle. yeah. You know, which you couldn't do with Lowen. I mean, Lowen was not... Sometimes, a few times I went there and I set it up so I would do like a session on a Friday and I would go back to this little bank, little motel. And then I would go back on the Saturday in an hour and then he would send me upstairs. He could go, go work with Leslie, his wife, Leslie. And we go in this big living room with all these minor birds. I don't know what they were. It's just like some, some tropical paradise, dogs barking, you know, the animal body, right? Resolve the animal body. And there were a number of people there that we, you know, at that time would call mentally ill or mentally retarded is the terminology. And they would all be standing in a circle doing a bioenergetic exercise class where you're just opening the body and releasing. So things are unbelievable. Should have them on every street corner. And these people... Were the most courageous human beings I had ever met. The places they could go, the the depths they could go. These were these working with pioneers is not always a good thing. They're fucking hardcore. They are hardcore. They are they're they're like old style Reikian, like you know Nelson Emerson self determination, chopping wood, building the log cabin yourself with no training or internet YouTube videos to watch. That's who these people were, and I was like. I can't, I can't keep up with this fucking group. I'm not going back up there anymore. He said, you'll keep going until you can handle it. And I said, I, just, I, can't, I can't handle it. These people were the deepest workers, the boldest. They weren't afraid of the emotional terrain at all. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? These people screaming, howling, raging, screaming, looking at me, yelling at me, calling me names. It's like, who are you people? Powerful. These, these, and, you know, one of the things that worries me now, we have getting so soft and subtle. With our somatics, I'm a little worried nobody's ever going to release anything. I know what I just said. You got to go where you go, and it'll get you where you go. But still, sometimes I, I wish there was a lot more. And I talked to Loan. I may have done one of the last interviews. I have to find the, the transcript of it. He said, it's over. He said, we failed. He said, the culture is getting too overstimulated, too cerebral in order to survive. Um, and there's no space to do this kind of deep work anymore in our world. And I don't believe that's entirely true at all but he felt like there was he felt like he had failed because he was really hoping this was going to change the world um and it it it, it we will get there we may get there um but he he i think he arrived many ways too early for this kind of thing mainstream nobody was even talking about trauma now we're finally talking about trauma so that feels like an important step in that direction
2: yeah man um <laughs> dude i'm loving this because like the, the pioneers were fucking hardcore i was like thinking oh, about- my god, Oh even like what we're talking about here in the con- in the context of parts, it's like there's the part of the old pioneer, like hardcore, like they're just going right in it. Um, Maybe like the knowledge of the, the, the nuance of the nervous system wasn't really there. Maybe they said mean shit. Maybe, but then there's the flip side of like the too nice and everything's, you know, like really everything has to be titrated. And it's like, well, how can, like you said earlier, like a person go, well, maybe like the more intense shit and the pioneer stuff that this is what's drawing me in. But then maybe I need a little bit of this. It's like, it's like being able to dial in, uh, like not having to pick one or the other, but to have access to both, which is just exactly
1: right. Exactly. Right.
2: Within one's own psyche.
1: Yeah. You'd like to ideally, I mean, ideally, I mean, you know, it's a perfectly balanced world, be able to access your inner Alexander Lowen and your inner Peter Levine. I mean, they're energetically very different people. Um, I remember I went to a bioenergetic conference, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s in Quebec. They had the international conference. And there were presenters. um, And Frank Ladke was there. I did amazing anger work with him. He was one of Lowen's people. Lowen would just appoint people you know bioenergetic trainers he didn't care for the training program he just he knew you know you're, you can handle this stuff so you go ahead you call yourself that um and that of course became a problem when it became like a big governing body and all the rest of that they didn't want to lower it around anymore because he was saying you know all well, these training things you're taking them into their heads and the rest of it but peter levine was there and he was presenting was kind of waking the tiger stuff i think and we were all looking like what the fuck is this it's just like so Subtle, soft. It's like Peter. It was just like very gentle, but it's very intelligent, very present. And we all had a bias. We were, bio, you know, we were strongly energized, fucked up, discharged. Um, and he was presenting this softer. It was the same philosophy. You know, the tigers fighting the other tiger, and then. The fight ends and the other tiger keeps moving to discharge the stuff so we can come back to freshness and humans don't do that. We put it all away and then we got to go into therapy to come back to that. I mean, it was brilliant. It was exactly accurate right on. But but now I understand that we want to reach the place, if, if presence is a whole being experience, if that's real spirituality, then we want to be able to access the broadest range of feeling and expression in order to actually be able to finally claim that we're actually here. Not here as a self-appointed trip. Not here as the new Mars, but here as here. And yeah, I think so. But you know, I think we also understand there's so much trauma in the field that it's 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 already extraordinary and pioneering enough for any of us to even explore any of these ways of being and pathways and therapies. And um, even if we don't get to the point with all our generational material where we can be here for everything, we can certainly do a better job than we're doing.
0: Do you think like there's a there's a potential for us to become like too trauma obsessed like to seek sure. too much for you know yeah. shit that might not even be there you know and thinking like the work never ends and just you know I think we have to
1: understand the sociology of where we're coming from here like we're coming from a survivalist consciousness that was by necessity had to put everything away to stay alive and We're now slowly crossing the bridge to a more authentic consciousness, which involves connecting to what we're holding and asking who we really are. Not who we are just to put food on the table, but who we are in the broader sense, what our real paths are, sacred purpose, all those things, however you language it. And I think we need to understand that you can keep going on forever digging out material because you're not just digging out your material, you're digging out the collective, the ancestry, everyone's material. We're, you know, some of the first path travelers. And- it's extraordinary already. And I think we need to decide as we get clear on our material, what's the material we really have to work with, because it's really, really fucking up our life. And what's the stuff that we can just leave for the next generation and just try to find a way to enjoy ourselves in this lifetime? And everyone has to make that decision and everyone has holding different amounts of material. And but sure, people, you know, I mean, I think if you do real deep body-centered work. You you don't stay stuck in the talk therapy loop like Woody Allen used to be in those neurotic movie vignettes of him persistently repeating himself over and over again. Um, you know, I think body centered stuff allows for change on a deeper level when someone's ready for it, and it's less likely to happen if you're with the right practitioner. But you have to be careful. There are practitioners that try to keep people dependent because they make a living doing this, and. and you know, that's, I think, a very common thing or they haven't reached a place where they're able to really enjoy themselves yet so they can't really steer you in that direction yet. And, yeah, I think you you have to ask all of those questions all the time. And and I think at a certain point, you just do start asking those questions because you realize this work could go on forever and are you here for that or do you have something else you want to do and and are you ready to enjoy your life? Um, It's an important
0: question. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when you, so would you like, just from what I've gathered, you know, from the brief snippets in this conversation, would you say like who you authentically are, you know, can be discovered by discovering what your authentic path is? Like, you're like, do you discover, you know, the authentic self through the authentic path, so to speak? Yeah. So I don't, I don't, uh,
1: uh separate the authentic self from the authentic path. Yeah. So that's my bias. It's my bias. Yes. Um, Just because I just had all these glimpses that who my authentic self was, was expressed through certain directionalities and not expressed through the wrong directionalities. And I just, just been my experience. So if I knew I was to write, found my way to writing and felt this feeling of I am exactly where I'm supposed to be in this lifetime, completely at peace with path, that told me it was all the same for me. Um, It was all the same for me. And that doesn't mean there isn't sort of an authentic personality yeah, I, like I, I'm, I'm. There's a lot of bashing of personality or persona in the um, patriarchal or right grounded spiritualities. Um, they really don't want individuation. You know, um, it's, they're sort of like globalists. They want no, there's no separate self. There's no self determined self. I really think personality. There is a distinct personality. Changes and morphs as we evolve and move towards wholeness. But I'm still going to experience Joel to some extent, like I'm experiencing Joel right now. Um, as long as Joel's aligned with his core personality, so I think it's OK. and I, you know, persona sort of applies it's some show we're putting on or something. and I, I don't believe that. I believe that sacred purpose, and personality and the who you really are are all wrapped up together.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree, man, because like particularly like in, in, in our work, together um, and in what we talk about, like, I, I find people can get so stuck with the inner work. And often, when they decide to get on with the outer work, then they finally they tend to discover the next layer of the inner work. You know, so there needs to be that yeah, balance of moving absolutely. forward in the world. In soul shaping, I talked a lot about depth charges
1: and adventures in soul shaping because it was inner outer. It's, it's you know, where did I get information about who I was and what I was to do in this lifetime? Part of it was through the psychotherapeutic process, so going out and engaging in a therapeutic process. Um, part of it was exploring and taking a stained glass. Part of it was, you know, sitting down to write and seeing if I was right that writing was for me. I mean, it's, you know, exploring the relational field to see how do I relate, what parts of me come up in certain connections. Are those parts fundamental to who I I am, or do they feel like they're off path or something like that? So it's all this, it is all the same. My inner, outer, it starts eventually, it's what Andrew calls the simple thing. That's the third stage where it's all just part of being human. And we're not making such coarse or pragmatic distinctions between inner outer and our aspects, because it all starts becoming presence as a whole being experienced.
2: You know, you bring up personality before, and I think this is where like vocal expression and how a person sounds comes into play too, because in the ungrounded spiritual communities or the new cage movement, it almost feels like everyone takes on this like, assumed affectation in their voice and it almost feels like they have no personality because they sound the same no matter what they're talking about and i I feel like when i when i meet someone that resonates with me they just like they say fuck like different colors of their personality different, different vocal qualities come into play as they're talking about deep meaningful stuff but i almost always i wouldn't say check out but i'm just like I can sense when someone just sounds the same and they're just trying to talk like this and, you know, <laughs> story and it's an illusion. I'm just like, yeah, all right, peace, I'm out, you know. So, well, because, you know, I mean, the whole sort of that non Google, that whole
1: trip is it's basically, I call it the automaton bypass. They're just basically becoming really perfected robots um, living in some artificial intelligence format or structure. And it does all sound the same because. At the heart of it is the annihilation, the absolute nullification and annihilation of the individuated self. Remember, you have no story. Your ego is the enemy. You have no identifications. Your body is irrelevant. You are divine identity. 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 There you go. We're there now. We're enlightened, <laughs> but now what? <laughs> now what? I gotta, I gotta deal with the world. Fuck, damn! Yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, but the world's not real. I am divine identity. I am divine identity. And so they do the mantra, they repeat that with the beads and the beads and the beads and the beads, so they can stay in divine. I'm divine identity. I'm divine identity. It's good work if you can get it, but it, you know it doesn't usually survive the first five minutes at the grocery store.
0: Yeah. Um. Can you explain like why you refer to it as patriarchal spirituality? Because what it seems to me is that you know objectivity is actually required and objectivity, generally speaking, would be a masculine trait. Maybe. I
1: mean, or so we've been told. Um, so I just started to see... I called it patriarchal spirituality and I define it in humanifestations. Thank you. You're holding up the book. Thank you for purchasing the book. You're um, Yep. Uh, and I finally got the definition for it back there because I was so pleased with it. And it it's it, it's kind of an overstated definition on purpose in a way. But, you know, I just in my experience with these people found that there were certain traits. We've talked about the bash of the ego, you know, all of these things are part of what I it seemed primarily to be um male driven. Not that women haven't bought into the system. They have, of course. Um, but primarily it was about male mastery, you know, the mastery thing with men, the I am Captain America, starts early. Um, and th- and it had certain definitional qualities. Um, and it's not limited to patriarchal spiritualities. And But, you know, there are more female-oriented and sourced spiritualities that are more body-centered, fleshy, tantric, all those things out there. They just haven't taken root to the extent that these patriarchal structures are. I mean, they're everywhere. They're the Dalai Lama. They're, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, all of this stuff stuff comes up when these the tongue sucking incident. I mean, you start asking the question, what is this? What is this philosophy? Why are we believing that this guy's enlightened? He picked the seven things or whatever this stupid story is. Um, I don't buy these stories at all. And you know, and and of course the patriarchy loves to present themselves pageantry and particular outfits, bells and whistles and all the rest of it as part of presenting itself as the one who knows. It's the unhealthy male ego that always wants to be the one that knows. The healthy male ego absolutely can absorb the fact that it doesn't know a lot of things. Um, but it's really the unhealthy ego that's ruling the patriarchal spiritual structures. And of course, it's all inherently contradictory because nobody bashes the ego more than them, and yet nobody's ruled by, by it more than them. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's a long definition. I won't read it, but it's
2: it's at the back of the yeah, thank you for that. Um, I kind of want to pivot just a little bit. Can you talk about forgiveness? Because, you know, people in the, you know, more new cage spiritual communities, like that's like you have to forgive everything. And Joel and I don't agree with that. And I know I think you recently did a post on Facebook uh yeah. highlighting as well. Love to hear you talk about that.
1: I've been writing about the forgiveness bypass forever. Yeah. It was it's one of the sort of hallmarks of patriarchal and particularly new cage spiritualities that, you know. You have to, I mean, I have nothing against forgiveness if it's authentic and organic. Um, but I don't believe that if you go through a deeply embodied release process, clearing and resolution process, experiences you've had, that you'll necessarily always arrive at forgiveness or you have to self forgiveness is fantastic. Um, but I, I don't believe you have to forgive your aggressors. I don't believe it's your responsibility, it's their work to do. Um, and I understand why. No judgment, no anger, all forgiveness was developed by these religions and spiritualities because it allows the guru to get away with murder, basically. They're always forgiven, not allowed to be angry, and you can't judge them. So it's a perfect recipe for disaster. It's a complete manipulation of the human psyche and human directionality. and You end up with a bunch of people walking around completely uh, bifurcated in their consciousness there filled with anger and rage and all these things you know where i had the most acute experience of it i won't mention his name but i did a workshop early 2000s i think it was a prominent spiritual teacher in the meditation world and he would talk very softly tell these lovely stories and I, stories were wonderful it was very lovely and but i just looked at his eyes because as the bioenergetic world, i said this guy's filled with fucking rage man like it's like this soft talky thing. I didn't believe it. It was like what you were doing. I just didn't believe it. it. didn't feel real to me. Um, and then I thought, well, that's interesting. It's, you know, he's talking about subduing anger. And, and I understand that that's what he perhaps had to do to get by in his life, but he was filled with fucking rage. And then I get on a bus with him. We're taking a bus to like, I don't know, wherever the cars are or something like that. And, and, Mr. Softy Toffee starts abusing and talking down to this sort of, you know, annoying, but not terribly annoying member of the community that week in a way that indicated that he was a total rageaholic. Um, and, you know, I won't mention things I know about many prominent spiritual teachers who bash anger who are total rageaholics. So, you know, it just seemed very obvious to me that this this was a, these were just like the bypass, these were just mechanisms that were designed to control and contain their behavior and the behavior of the people around them that had nothing to do with presence as a whole being experienced, which has to allow for the possibility that at the end of an emotional process experience, you decide that you're not going to forgive your, your aggressor or perpetrator. It just feels healthy to me. Um, I get why we do it so society can function in the way it's organized, but at the end of the day, I don't think it takes us too far.
2: Yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned even just going through a long, drawn up drawn out or a long process of healing or in getting more embodied and dealing with the situation. But so often I come across people that have just had something horrific happen to them. And then like they're forgiving the person within like two days or a week. And I just feel like there isn't this uh, dance or exploration within themselves of all yeah. these different, will have different opinions on the situation and the relationship.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a coping, a str- coping strategy that run amok. You know, yeah. um and for whatever reason, depending on their circumstance, maybe they work with that person, they have to find a way to survive. And so they maybe unconsciously are deciding to fabricate forgiveness for a period of time. It's fine. I mean, but at some point if you can, it would be nice to come back down and ask yourself the question if you've really arrived at forgiveness organically. I mean, it's just about organic forgiveness or mechanism forgiveness and for the most part culturally this is you see it throughout the religious world this is it's just mechanisms for the most part that are masquerading as truths
0: yeah seems like a similar sentiment when like people talk about you know deep trauma horrifying situations but like they're laughing they're laughing about it as, they, as they're talking about yeah. it
1: yeah and then you're confused you're like sorry you're telling me something incredibly serious you just got the shit kicked out of you in a back alley and you're laughing. And, you know, I mean, so few people have ever been really listened to that they're probably just assuming nobody's going to listen. They're going to be gaslit. I mean, we live in a gaslit world. I mean, this is this term is, is if you really look close, the way we've set it up, I mean, it is everywhere on subtle and gross realm levels that somebody's experience is denied, reframed, upframed, relanguaged, corrected, you know, all of this. And so most people, in my view, are walking around feeling completely dismissed with respect to their horrible experiences. And hence, you know, the more that longer that goes on for the more acting out, see, because that material has to go somewhere and often it ends up going in the wrong directions.
0: Yeah. And also the more normalized that dismissiveness becomes, you know, oh, this is yeah. what it means to be heard, you know, that that's exactly it. It becomes a, a
1: natural or unnatural, I guess, expectation set.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, so many, so many directions to go. I guess let's kind of like shift into relationships a little bit. To you know, towards the tail end of this thing, how how do we how does our childhood trauma interact with the kind of partners that we end up choosing in life? Was it not?
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true.
0: Um, well, I think it. It.
1: I mean, it obviously can. You know, I mean. Harville Hendricks, the Malgo work I always thought was very good, interesting, just how we're we're filling the voids or, you know, picking based on the experiential patterns that we're used to or, you know, I think the ideally the reason to do the work is to reach the stage where you can make healthier choices that aren't emanating from your patterns and from your unresolved material and all the rest of that. It doesn't go like that for a long time. Um, most people have had to learn that lesson. Um and that's why the individual work is important, and that's why where possible the relational work is possible. If you can find someone who's into doing the work and wants to do the work with you, and and believes there's work to be done. Um, but yeah, it's I mean this material, this this thing we've been calling humanism is really just sort of a caricature of humanism, um, because we're just all walking around um, with hundreds and thousands of trauma tunnels that project outward and live themselves out with respect to almost all of our choices in our life, how we interface with our breath, with our feet, with our moment, with the, our career, with our relationships with others. It's, um, it's everywhere. Um, what we've been calling humanists is a caricature in a way of humanists. It's, and it is because of all of these unresolved holdings. You're almost never going to be a human being who's not holding on to something that's interfering with or obstructing their capacity to be present, and that is not impacting on their relational patterns. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, what if, like, what if, like, to have trauma is to be human. What if to to hold is to be human? Because it's not really sure s- separate from that sure. experience, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I always had this sort of vision of this. I mean, it's it's that now feels so silly, but. You know, my notion of sort of perfection was a world that was so safe on the nervous system level um, that we can all just sort of access our truest path of purpose and not have to be armored and super resilient all the time. So, and we just wander around the village like that in loving, connective ways. And um, we don't have to deal with the fucked upness of the human experience. And now as I get a little older, I'm thinking that's probably not that realistic. Um, that I'm not really
2: sure that's exactly where we're headed. Yeah. Um, I'm just really enjoying this conversation, man. Like, uh, it's so cool to just share this space with you and um, just hear everything you have to say and share your experiences and your stories and and just how real you are, man. I just, I, I appreciate it. And it's just, you don't get a lot of that, I think, and especially people that are talking about these subjects. And so much respect.
1: Thank you. I mean, I think there's a lot of, there continues to be a lot of, confusion around what spirituality means and uh you know it's this sort of separate special precious place that some people access and and on an egoic level like feeling like they've accessed it and and it's it's divorced from what i would call most people including their daily experience of reality and um yeah i think that my work and you guys can hold the space for it and i've done you know i've probably done over a thousand reviews over the years and I think some of my favorite ones, and this is one of them, to be honest, but some of my favorite ones were with sort of, you know, kind of American psychics on these like kind of raunchy radio shows. And it's like, you know, the fact that they think they're psychics might be silly, but maybe it isn't. But there was just something so sort of bingo parlor genuine about it. I just felt like I could just relax and just not present myself as somebody who knew much of anything. I mean, I think I figured a few things out, but I don't for one moment think any of this is easy, um, you know, or that you've, that I'm an Light Master or something stupid like that. You know, and the moment I start to think like that, I know five minutes later, I'm going to get, something's going to happen. It's going to remind me I am far removed from that state of being. So I like that because, I don't know, it was just like people were calling in about their dog dying. And, Can you talk to my dog? And it just felt like it's just like, just an experience of reality. You know, it's like for me, the most spiritual person is the one at the donut shop who's you know handling a practical life handling a lot of realms of responsibility um you know trying to find his goodness in the heart of that trying to connect from his heart when he can and just feels so much more awakened to me than the guy who's even totally you know who presents like that and has maybe perfected the art of meditation but i have a feeling hasn't perfected everything else i just feel more comfortable i feel less pressure to pretend that i'm have to pretend that I'm something I'm not or something. Well, you guys don't have to pretend. So it's easier to have a conversation.
2: Yeah. I agree, man. I, I'm drawn more to the, as they say, goes assault of the earth people as opposed to people that think they are like transcended earth.
1: I mean, if they have, then bye. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll take them to the airport teleport to wherever they're going and hopefully they'll become good brahmin floating around or whatever the story is and they'll leave their bodies because they realize that now they're going to help us from above or whatever this fucking bullshit story is you know it's fine uh it's good work if you can get it and if we can just find the teleport location i'm happy to drive them there so they can stop plaguing us and lying to us about what enlightenment is so we can actually do some work to awaken on a human level
2: yeah there seems to be so much polarization everywhere in every part of the world and every industry like what what do you think is the solution moving forward like
1: i mean yeah i mean the, the, the algorithms are crafting that for their own economic benefit we know what this is all about um i never thought this way before as a canadian i never thought who was a liberal who was a conservative i never even thought about it um they were just canadians um so I don't know. I think that there, there, I think there is a inherent war between control notions of control and notions of sovereignty. I believe that these are manipulating human consciousness is a is a control system, um, and I think that it's very obvious that the battle between notions of individuation, sovereignty, and self determination are going to be going to war with systems that are controlling and manipulating human consciousness and polarization is part of that it you know we end up hating each other and they're all laughing all the way to the bank that's what the whole cool game is about and so i think revolutions are going to occur and are going to intensify and deepen over time uh, as people become more aware and they are even mainstream people now are becoming more aware of the ways in which systems are manipulating them they've been designed to manipulate them um, and and we're going to have to fight for our right to the light uh, and part of that is learning how to band together with people on the left and people on the right and people on the center and realize that we are we have so much more in common every day than we seem to disagree on um, and that that intensity of disagreement is uh, is manipulated it's being manipulated from the outside and that it's not true to our nature at all because if presence is a whole being experienced, there will still be an individuated aspect to it. Like somebody may have a particular emphasis on self determination in their consciousness, another might be more collectivist in certain ways. But it won't be so extreme that we hate each other. Because of course, I stand on the shoulders of the self determined ones, and the self determined ones ultimately will stand on the shoulders of some element of the within, of collectivism within society. And you know, we are we are part of the whole together it's um but we need to understand i think on a very deep level the way we're being worked
2: yeah well said i I don't
1: think we i don't think we should soft touch touch that i think we need to we need to really understand it on a very deep and subtle level
2: yeah what's uh like what's next for you like what's the vision for you and, and your work in the world and the impact that you want to continue to have
1: yeah so i'm um I'm writing to write some courses this summer. I like writing courses. I have courses on Um And I'm also going to begin in the fall working on a book called Rebrave, which is because uh, I've recognized that we have been unbraved by these structures and systems uh, for a long time and that we need to rebrave as individuals and as a collective that bonds together in order to transform this human these human systems in a more humane and truly inclusive direction. So that feels like that's my primary focus um, going forward. Yeah. That's the next, the growing edge of my particular sacred purpose. What about you guys? What are you guys doing? And what are you guys, what's next?
0: It's a good question, Erasmus. I don't know. Joel, you want to answer that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's important to ask you questions. We, we, know, we know so much about you. I guess you could learn a bit about us. Yeah. Arts. yeah. yeah we, we started this podcast in 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 2021. You know, for me personally, like you know, this this life was never really envisioned for me. I was very much so stuck on the idea that I was be working within a you know a family business my entire life, and my path was set out for me. And then, you know, through I guess honouring my own intuition and my own passions and the things that light me up, and meeting your we we're able to you know build self reliance through this podcast. And I'm just truly honoured and grateful to be able to. Do what I do. Um, and for me, man, it's just about being able to like, our mission statement is on our website. We just want to like exalt the human spirit. We want to remind people of the awesomeness of what it means to be human because I feel like the sanctity of humanness is being so tainted, you know, absolutely all, 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 all absolutely. around us. And like, you know, people unconsciously on such a deep psychic level, they're already in antagonistic and contradictive relationships with themselves that they can't even come you know, it's to, to the bridge of wholeness, be able to be like, wow, look at these creative gifts that I have. I've got creative life force uniquely available to me. No, I've got a unique path that no one can walk except for me. And to me, like, you know, we don't value our potential, but that's the most miraculous thing is this notion that, you know, there's a path that is mine alone. But how do I get on that path? How do I take steps? How do I move forward? Um, you know, and how do I enter that truly reciprocal relationship with life, and, you know, being able to have these conversations, I think, is a huge step forward in that regard. Um, and, yeah, man, that's kind of where we're at. I we want to keep inspiring, keep educating, uh, and keep growing what we're doing here.
1: I mean, it's true that it's it's all part of it. It's, you know, the self has been so desacralized, shamed. That's how, I mean, if they make you small, you're controllable. It's not actually complicated. And, you know, or being egotistical when you're a little because you think you're amazing. I mean, you are amazing. Uh, you know, the actualization, the excavation, clarification of who you are and why you're here is is beautiful. Imagine a world where everybody was emblazoned with their path and sacred purpose. You know, they're afraid, what, they can't be controlled? Well, they can't be. They'll be sovereign. They they won't buy things they don't need. They won't be buying things to make them feel like they're cool, because they'll already know they're cool. You know, and and what a world we'll live in. Nobody, when you find that path, the last thing you want to do is harm anybody. Um, And that's exactly it. And and you can see where the spiritual bypass, quote, patriarchal, educational world, actually is denying the veracity and significance of the individual self, especially patriarchal spirituality, because when you remove story identifications, all those things, you're saying those things don't matter. This unified field matters. And it's all backwards. I mean, you're not going to get my experience is if you find your path of purpose, you actualize your path of purpose, you then naturally, it unfolds into an offering to the world. You connect to the unified field. But it's coming from a clarification, identification, actualization of who you really are rather than going to the unified field and then sitting around saying, like a lot of these spiritual people are going, well, I, they're all like, what am I going to do with my life? It's like, just meditate, be in the unified field, pray for the well-being of humanity. It's all, you know, nonsense. Anyway, Yerasimos, awesome, so what about you?
2: I mean, you summed up a little some good stuff, but I think like for me, um, I've always just loved education and self-education and inspiring people to that. It's part of their birthright and that like they can see beyond what, let's say, the controllers want them to think. And, um, you know, our ethos and I guess even my ethos with the work I was doing, even when I was doing more body work stuff and coaching stuff and some more esoteric practices is like become who you were born to be. You know, you talk about the sacred path, sacred purpose. Like, that's what I'm curious about. Like, who are you? You know, when you kind of peel away some of the threads of that conditioning and the trauma and the wounding uh, that kind of, I mean, even though it's part of your path, but it's like kept that light, that inner light. Yeah. So it's like, I want that for everyone. I want that for the people that I work with, that Joel and I work with. And as far as the podcast goes, this was the initial stepping stone we met. We wanted to have all different types of conversations around these subjects. Like we called it here for the truth, not I have the truth. You know, like we call it that because we want to be able to explore some of these areas that, you know, maybe in some ways might be controversial, but so people can grapple with great ideas that they can play with these different aspects of themselves and go, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about it this way. And, and can they challenge established belief systems within themselves because of conditioning? So I like, like, I love depth and being serious, but I'm also, there's like a playfulness to like deep work and, and learning challenging belief systems that comes natural to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of my mission is to to let people know, like, it can be fun. Like, it may be painful, but if you have the capacity to feel the pain, even within the pain, be like, wow, this is cool. I'm experiencing the depth of who I am, and I'm having these relationships, and I'm and I'm reinventing myself, and I'm learning yeah. who I am, like, on the journey. That's oh, so fucking cool. Like, again, it's like, you think about children, they have this sense of wonder. And even when I was uh, acting for years, you know, some of my mentors, they they wouldn't say, like, become a child, but, like. Can we bring back that childlike state? Can we bring back some of that wonder and the expansion that you had? And I I do the best I can, obviously, to to keep that sense of wonder and excitement alive, like, and want to share that with other people, if that makes sense.
1: Beautiful. Beautifully said. Rumi had this great quote Some people pick up their tools, others become the baking itself, that I always loved. Um, And I think it's important to say, like, you know, in the Americana of purpose talk, you know, you're going to find the great giant thing you're here to do or whatever it is. And for me, purpose is like, uh, I experienced myself as a car, like a car on a highway that, you know, there's an exit sign that's like, oh, that's the next thing. And Then, then get back on, then do the thing, get back on, next thing appears. It it's an unfolding um, towards wholeness. Sometimes it has really clearly identified paths. Sometimes it's something archetypal and broader and faster than that. And, and that my definition of sacred purpose includes the healing of the unresolved material. And Often people I'll do sessions, I'll say, "Well, you know, how much how longer how long do I have to do this work for I can find my purpose?" I say,, oh, wait, wait. at the stage we're at in this collective, this work is purpose. This is the a really key point that we're at. And quite often when people do the work, it becomes the offering to the world. They become somatic experiencing practitioners. They become bioenergeticists. they you know, wherever there's growth, there's purpose, in my view. And if for them, they're growing edges, slowing down the question what are they here to bring to the world, and answering the question, what I'm here to bring to the world right now is healing the stuff that nobody ever attended to. That's also part of this beautiful becoming your own magnificent self process and and moving the collective needle forward.
0: Yeah. yeah. The the obstacles we overcome tend to become our gift our gifts to give. Yeah, often. Often.
1: Yeah. Often. Not always, but often. Yeah. Okay. So that's so that yeah, I just don't want to go too new cage.
0: Often, but not yeah. always. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to touch on a point you were bringing up before in regards to self-denigration. Something that we didn't hit on was this, like this whole notion of aestheticism, right? Which is so rampant within the Eastern culture now is kind of drift, drifted in, drifted into the West. For example, like you know, extended like celibacy or extreme fasting or body piercing, etc. Like to me, all these are you know manifestations of the underlying notion of you know Eastern mysticism, I guess, or New Cage you know, self-denigration, like by punishing the self, by punishing the body, by withholding from everything, then I will, you know, become enlightened.
1: Well, they'll become something. They'll become in fright, probably. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 it's all part of that. It's it, yeah. the denigration of the self. This is just one of the forms that denigration takes. And it may be for some people in order to access that thing they call a higher state, I'm not into higher states, I'm into true or deeper states, but they're in a the higher state. So if to access that and maybe get the perspective they need from the higher state, putting it in the most positive light, they have to smash their body to bits, starve, drink, not eat something so they can access something. Um, I'm not particularly interested in accessing higher states or what they call higher states, which really for me are really transcendent, absolute self, self-avoid states. Um, and it makes sense to get there that they have to destroy the self. It's just another way they can destroy the self. And for some people, the idea of self-eradication isn't enough. They actually literally have to do it in order to access that thing they're hungry for, which is, ironically, moments of relief from the self by destroying the self altogether. And, uh, you know, it's it's all extremely fucked up, in my view, if your goal... If our goal is to reach a place where we can be here for everything and see everything as real, not all states or experiences are preferred, that's the work to figure that out, the attachment to things, but, but to at least be able to hold the space for all elements of reality, which includes all elements to begin with of the self itself. I mean, They can't say that the self is a reflection of God and then destroy the self while they're questing for God because they've now destroyed God. So it's all... If you really look closely at the tenets of this stuff, it, it's all contradictory, um, you know. And they 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 have various ways to keep them away from lodging themselves in the intrinsic contradiction of it by using the mantra, repetition of various teachings over and over and over again, uh, and the teacher who knows best to hold the space every time they. Come into doubt. The teacher leads them back in the direction of self-avoidance, masquerading as enlightenment, which I believe is pretty much what all, all of it's about. And I think it's also important to say, sociologically, these things arose from realities where it must have been required to experience reality in these ways. It's, you know, it's not all sort of um, you know uh, criminal or something or or malintended. Often it was. I didn't live. In, I didn't live in the Buddha's world. I didn't know why the Buddha had to leave his family and leave the world in order to access something he called higher states. Maybe that's what they had to do to be able to paint a picture of possibility that humanity has something to look forward to, for example. Um, But I think now, maybe, possibly, for the moment at least, we've built enough of a framework, civilization, where we can explore the question of the deepened experience of self in ways that aren't quite as extreme or self avoid as they were before
2: any oh. more more descension not Ascension right but get back into our bodies and yeah it's, it's to the ground
1: yeah going down to go up that whole thing like I think it's um, I think Bond. I used to use the term waking down and then I found this guy Sanel bonder I think his wife's work way here I think he wrote made a about written a book called waking down and I think that's just what we're talking about and I, I understand why it's scary it's its it's painful waking up is <laughs> up is a lot less painful. Um, because it's, you know, there's nothing really up to to hurt you. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Re- rem- reminiscent of the the great Jung quote as well. No tree can go to heaven unless it has roots in hell.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I've never heard that quote. That's a great quote. Mm.
0: That's
1: a, yeah. That's a. I think that's all we're talking about. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but yet
2: it's not. Yeah. It's not. And like again, this is where it's like compassion is is required as well, because like you know people. Yeah feel safe in their bodies because of extreme abuse or neglect or whatever the case may be like um you know the ideas of waking up the ideas of sending the ideas of transcending are appealing mm-hmm. you know actually re-experience some pain and suffering that someone experienced at a young age you know it is scary so um yeah again each person's journey is their own you know we've all experienced yeah. trauma so more than yeah. others
1: yeah. I mean, I think this kind of a conversation is really important. Um, you know, I have strong views, but I, I don't feel internally dogmatic. I, my views change over time. And I think that it's m- my issue with this whole new cage thing is that somehow in the so-called spiritual world, you weren't even allowed to debate or critically review teachings. Like I, I started doing this on Facebook and I was the only one I knew doing it and I was being attacked. You know, I have more kind of hate emails, threatening emails from Buddhists and from anybody else, um, ironically, but not so ironically. You know, it's wild like that. Um, but I think that, you know, somehow spirituality found a way to get exempt from the critical review thing that was happening everywhere. Right? Many of these so-called spiritual people are happy to review everything in the political world and other parts of the world, but spirituality, was so I just kept coming because I thought, at the very least, we're going to get this conversation on the table. You know, I had a, friend on Facebook who killed themselves bought into the new age stuff and then the new cage term came up and I realized what was happening and I've had endless emails from people who've killed themselves who bought into those teachings and fired their therapists and their stuff kept coming and then the therapist wasn't real a lot of it wasn't real but it was completely real because their stuff was ruling them in the middle of the night and ultimately led to them leaving this earth prematurely so These are really important conversations, so if somebody's going to explore Tole and explore Shanti, or explore Byron Katie and their little turnaround game, they at least know that there's other ways to look at what's going on here, and then they can decide. can't force anyone to do whatever they want to do. They might be beneficial for them for a period of time, but we need to start talking about grounded spirituality on a regular basis before it's too late. That's really how I feel about it.
0: Totally, man. Um, you know, so glad you started, I guess, disputing it the way you did and found your own path and wrote the books and have, uh, you know, formed the ideas and philosophies that we're talking about here today. Such an honor to, you know, hold this conversation with you. Grateful for your time, man. Thank um, you. Great. Do you have like a closing message for our audience? And also, if you just want to direct them as to, you know, how they can best support you at this time.
1: Yeah. Um, I have a new Substack, the Real Men newsletter, I'm just getting into. They can connect with me there if they want to join. Um, my main website is jeffbrown.co. Um, there's audio download courses there that are very popular and other things. Um, and I don't know, I think that the first step maybe, if there's people wanting to first step this, is to try to find a way to just spend more time alone within your own body. And um, I called it solitude in my first book, Soul Shaping. And just grant themselves permission somehow to get to know who they are in a real sense, um, by pulling away from the things that distract them, dissociate them and all the rest of that. And just start there. Just spend some time with yourself. You know? Get caught up with yourself. Get clear on yourself. And then things will unfold from there.
2: Yeah. I love it. Real quickly, do you have like a, a tent book that's coming that's just the glossary of, of your terms? Because I just love all the terms. Thank you.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think I maybe should. Um there is a Enrealment dictionary in process on jeffbrown.co in the writing section. But Mm -hmm. I I think it would be good for me to do a definitional book and then have little exercises to sort of land the definitions. So maybe, thank you, maybe that's the next book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I expect it to be acknowledged in the acknowledgement section of the book, so I appreciate it. (laughs) In fact, your picture will be on the front cover.
1: Uh, As as suggested by. Uh,
2: (laughs) Jeff. Again, I said earlier, much respect. Thanks for making the time for us. And uh, I, I know our audience is definitely going to get a lot out of it. I definitely did. And um, yeah, looking forward to diving even deeper into into your your book, your books and your and your work.
0: Great. Totally. Thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.
2: Smoke and mirrors. I'm seeing through the
0: illusion. Waking up in the time. They think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms. Because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can shed our confusions. Yep, yeah. 450 BC, I'm sharing see with con-